Hello, and welcome to Portroidcast episode 37. As always, I'm Rick. On today's episode, I had the privilege to sit down with Henry Selleck for a roundtable interview at New York Comic Con. Henry has a new movie coming out on Netflix October 28th called Wendell and Wild. It is a stop-motion animated film in the style of some of his earlier work, Coraline, James and the Giant Peach, and The Nightmare Before Christmas. As I mentioned, this was a roundtable interview with four of us taking turns asking Mr. Selleck questions. He had so much information and fun stories to share that I'm going to include the entire conversation for your enjoyment. I apologize for the background noise, as there was a room next door in the venue that was bleeding a lot of sound into our space. It settles down later in the interview, so bear with it. And now, the wonderful Henry Selleck. Enjoy. Anyway, w- welcome everybody. Right, thank, you. Uh, thank, thank you. Thank you. Pleasure to have you here. Uh, let's let's start with an easy question. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about the film, the story, and and how it came about? Okay. First of, I got to ask you: Has everyone seen the film already? Yes. Yeah, we got the screen. I have not yet. Well, you got to see the movie, man. Yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> At some point, I hope I hope you get to see it and you like it. Um, okay. So the question is about the just tell us a little bit about story. the film and the story and how it came about. Yeah, uh, Wendell Wild. Um, she began decades ago when my grown sons were were little, I mean really young, you know, they would have some demonish behavior. And so I just did a sketch of them as two demon brothers. Um, you know, George was probably two and Harry's about six. Um, and I wrote a little story about demon brothers. And I didn't really make it about kids. And I named them Wendell Wild and I basically came up with the, the the center of what turned out to be the movie. Now, um, you know, with the sister Heli and, and, and the cat and Raoul, um, I just put it away because it was just one of those, like a road acute thing. And then, then years later, uh, many years later, I'm, um, you know, I'd done Coraline and that was, you know, uh, you know, I'm very happy with that film and I set up a deal to do another film. Uh, called the Shadow King, and I was well along. That was with Disney and Pixar, but um, you know, basically, John Lasseter changed everything, and, and the budget went up and up and up and up. And it, it couldn't be because it was a stop motion film. I had to do it for a certain budget, so they shut me down. I wasn't feeling too good for a while, but uh, in 2012, along comes Key and Peele, the funniest uh, comedy sketch show I think in history. I started watching it. And it took three years, three seasons, to, for me to realize, holy shit, Key and Peel would be the best voices for that, that old Wendell Wild demon thing. So I got, I got um, Ellen Goldsmith Vane, my manager, who's also a producer of this film, to get, get those guys to see if they ever heard of me, would they maybe do voices? And they both wanted to do voices, but Jordan wanted to do more. I didn't know that yet, but he wanted to meet Turned out he's like a total expert on stop motion animation, all types of animation. But he he knows it in and out. He knows everything that I've done, and I, I pitched the story. I gave him the pages, and he came back and said, "I want to be more. I want to." Uh, basically, his, his uh, the comedy show was going to end in another season. He told me about this new company he was setting up called Monkey Paw Productions, the types of films they wanted to do. And he said that, you know, um, he'd like to be part of this. Maybe be a co-writer, be a producer. And he wanted to he wanted it to be this sort of animated film he wished he could see when he was a kid with people like himself in it in featured roles. 
and um, I was I was elated because you know it was their show that inspired me to get going again on a new project and to have them actually offer to be part of the creative uh, collaboration and um, and so we were off to the races and we and we um, you know he had lots of other things going he's still doing another season of his show uh, but right away he still he, he helped shape the story he convinced me the pro protagonist was originally sister Helly this nun with super powers it shouldn't be her but it should be young cat Elliot um, when the original was just sort of like a, a goth kid and, a, and a, an assistant and and Raul um, you know he he convinced me about casting choices being very inclusive um, lots of very strong story things and a lot of tonality and then along you know comes oh yeah I gotta go off I, I got a, a green light on my movie get out and I'd read the script and wow this is pretty good it goes off he shoots it in like no time low budget film edits it in no time and then it's gonna be coming out and he like freaks out what if my movie's a bomb we gotta go out and pitch Wonder Wild this week I said, no, 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 don't worry about it, don't worry about it. Uh, you know, I just said, just think, you know, just relax. I'm sure it's going to be fine. And then Get Out comes out. It's great. It's a huge hit. It's like one of the most successful films for the amount of money it costs ever. Mm -hmm. And then we're in real business. We, um, we went to just a few places. We, we knew it was an unusual film. We weren't ever going to go to Disney or those sort of studios. But Netflix seemed like a good idea, and they were the they were the studio that said, "We really like this. You know, we like you, and our deal is, if we like you and your project, we will make this. We promise." So it's like just consider it a slow green light. Nobody said that. So that's that's kind of how it began. I know, very long answer. No, you can edit, edit down <laughs> what you need. It's a great story. Sure. With the stop motion. How much of it is, well, when you're doing the story, because of the time it takes to do the stop motion, I assume you have to storyboard everything out and make it very uh, tight so that you're not cutting scenes that you spent, you know, weeks working on. Yeah. Um, how much of it is, are you actually hands-on in doing the stop motion versus a team that you, you have, or are you still doing it? Well, I, I, don't, I don't do any animation right. um, anymore. I mean, I used to do it all, yeah. but I found people who are so much better than me, and I need <laughs> I need to spend my time directing. Yes. And, um, yeah, we work very, very hard on the story reel, we call it, made from the storyboards, um, because we, um, you know, we make the movie twice. The low-budget way, where we just do it with sketches, voices, sometimes scratch voice, sometimes real actors' voices, temp music. And we um, we rip it apart, put it together, rewriting the script. There's never like like a locked script. The storyboards become the shooting script. Um, but even so, I've never believed in just lock it all up and then follow the plan and stop thinking uh, because you miss too many opportunities. Um, say there's a gag that worked well as a drawing, it doesn't work at at all with with a puppet as a 3D you know, performer. So you're, you're constantly revising, reworking, and you'll end up at the end shifting edit around. But um, I work closely with the animators, uh, you know, just to always say, what's the point of the shot? What's the character thinking? I just want to make sure that 
they don't get lost in just fancy animation and show off stuff. Uh, I also want to make sure they're in character. And so, like, early on we have, um, you know, I have two animation supervisors who are both really good animators. They might figure out, like, the walk. What does cat walk like? Because everybody has a unique walk. And so they'll establish, you know, certain visual vocabularies for each character. Uh, our character designer, this genius guy named Pablo Lobato, he'll also uh, contribute by drawing out uh, poses, facial expressions, uh, because we want every character to be unique, specific, their own thing. And so that's a lot of work goes into like establishing what those uh, rules are for each, each character. Um, and then when it comes to individual scenes, the characters have to kind of follow the rules established, but then they have to have the, whatever they're emoting or whatever they're acting for the particular moment. It's, um, it's, it's always about me like simplifying, focusing down, and then we, we launch. They do a, a rough rehearsal and we take notes on timing and stuff. And, uh, and then the most miraculous part of what stop motion is happens. You, you launch the shot and the animator performs through the puppet a frame at a time, starts here and has to get all the way to the end. There's no assistant animators. There's no, um, oh yeah, we can just change the middle later and redo it. And uh, it's very risky way to do it, but we, we have such good people and we plan so well, we probably have like a 98% success rate. Um, you were just talking about the characters. A My, AJ? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, you were just talking about the characters and how you were focusing on how they were created and all that. My question is, what, who was your favorite character within the movie? Oh, that's... That's kind of impossible. Um, you know, I love, I love the leads probably the most. Cat, um, the protagonist. Um, you know, you think, well, what does this old white man have in common with a thirteen-year-old black girl? But I grew to know her and love her in the voice performer Lyric Ross, who's a brilliant actor. Um, you know, she's the emotional heart of this uh, this film. It's uh, goes a little deeper than most animated films go. So she'd be number one. One in the wild are right there with her, Key and Peel. Then after that, it's all over the map. I mean, I like some of the characters other people don't like so much. There's this uh, legless janitor named Manberg. He's kind of, you can't tell, is he a villain? What is he? I like him a lot. I like, uh, I like these three rich girls that they could have just been the mean girls at this school that this cat gets out of juvie justice system and she's given a do-over at this fancy school. Those girls could have been just assholes, but they're not. Mm -hmm. They actually, in their way, um, are trying to be caring and open and helpful. I love them. Um, and, I mean, that, that's it. The, you know, Father Best, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you know the name James Hong, but you'd know him if you saw him. He's like 93, Chinese-American guy. He's been in more movies and TV shows than anybody ever in history. And so he voices, and we made the puppet look like him, mm -hmm. this uh, headmaster at this failing girls' school. His name is Father Bests. Uh, and working with him is like, 
you know, working with someone out of history because his career goes so long and it was such a pleasure and he's so, he's just so much fun. He's so good in the, in the film. Uh, I have a question for you. Uh, so you're not someone who turns out content like every single year, <laughs> which is no. And the reason why, I mean, yeah. like I said, I'm a huge fan, and every single one of your your pieces has been prolific over the years. So what is your creative process to get there for each project? Like, do you sit down? Do you storyboard? Do you let it, you know, sleep on it for a couple of months, where you decide what your next project is going to be? Yeah, um, it's. It's never been easy to get a stop motion feature up and running. Um, you know, the first one happened because uh, Disney wanted to get Tim Burton to come back to Disney. He'd left and had huge success with, you know, Batman, Beetlejuice, and um, Tim had developed the idea for Nightmare at Disney, so they owned it, and um, they said, hey, come on back, we'll let you make it now, and um, thinking he's going to make some huge live-action successes. so. That was the easiest in terms of, uh, of course, it's not that easy because Tim had developed it as a TV special and Disney looked and said, no, this is weird, we're not going to do this. <laughs> and so it was years later, but then Tim was too busy directing Batman Returns and then uh, Edward Jr. I had still kept up with my stop motion and, and so he reached out to me to direct. And it, it was also, what was really good about it was that um, I didn't have to listen to any studio notes, which is, I so I thought that's how it was always going to be. <laughs> but there was Jeffrey Kasselberg, was still at Disney then, and I'd get notes, and I'd go, hey Tim, I'd get him on the phone. Um, we didn't have, you know, little laptops. I said, well, what do I do? He said, well, if you think it's a good note, do it. If you don't like it, just ignore it. <laughs> and I thought, oh man, yeah, I can live with that. So. All the energy went into making the movie. Um, the next film, we did want to keep the studio going. So you know, you're asking me how I come up with the projects, and um, I I knew Roald Dahl's work uh, pretty well. And then there's this the head of story. You know, in animation, you have writers who draw the pictures. They're the people who do the storyboards, but they're very very creative people. And I was working with the best guy who ever lived, Joe Raft. I talked to Joseph, and we should set up another movie so when, the, when we're done with Nightmare, if it's successful, we'll have something else to do. So he was the one who suggested James the Giant Peach. And um, that one wasn't hard to set up. Um, it was a little harder, though, uh, once we started going. Just um, uh, normal Hollywood started acting normal. And they saw that Tim wasn't around. He was, he was a producer, but he wasn't around. So they came in there with their notes and started to like just suck it out energy. So I, I realized, oh my God, this is how it really is. I got spoiled on the last one. So, um, you know, I think it, uh, it's horrible executive. I'll name him David Vogel. He got chased out of the business years ago because no one would work with him. Um, but the biggest thing that happened was Toy Story came out. I knew all those people. I went to school with John Lasseter, Joe Ramsey had gone, and, and you know, it was an incredibly good movie, huge success. And so kind of in the middle of James the Giant Beast, Disney just, they, they stopped supporting us. They just said, well, that's the future. This is the past. So um, <laughs> I'm telling you, you know, I'm not answering, answering your questions very well. It, it just, it just, it was, 
really hard to get another one going. Wow. You know, I got to, I, I, I did a live action mix with animation film, not that successful afterwards, but finally, um, you know, I did the Coraline film, and, and that's something I happened to meet Neil Gaiman. He was already successful, not what he is today, and he really liked my work. I read Coraline before it was published. I set it up with um, an executive, Bill Mechanic, to develop. I convinced them that, yeah, I want to write this. I'm tired of working with writers. I think I can handle this. And I ended up writing a pretty good screenplay, and Neil gave me his thoughts. I did better. Um, but it took, it took, from the time I met Neil to finally finding a studio, Leica, which is brand new at doing features, to getting it out. It was 10 years. So it's not like I just, yeah, I got this one under my belt, and I'm planning it's all up in the air, always up in the air, uh, each one unique. And I went from a success of Coraline to um, making a deal with, with Disney and Pixar, like, come on back. And I had an idea, The Shadow King. They said they loved it. They made a deal. It's like, okay, our big CG movies cost this much, but they make that much. Your stop motion will give you this much because they make that much. And so it was all set. We were going. We were actually in production. But John Lasser just couldn't help himself. He kept changing things. He kept changing like every two weeks. So he tried it this way because that's what he did at Pixar and that's where he knew success. But he just drove the budget off the charts and they, they pulled the plug. Wow. They, just, they just said, well, the, the economics aren't there. So I went into a funk and then, uh, you know, I'd had that story, which is an old story, and then I started watching... Peel, I got re-inspired. I don't know that there would have been another show, but I got so inspired by you know Keegan Michael Key and, and Jordan Peele and like, just their genius and wanting to work with people that good that got me up and going. But it was you know 2015 till now <laughs> of a lot of development. Um, you know Jordan had to go off and do his film, but that's what got us greenlit. And right here and now. If this film's considered a success, and I don't even know what the rules are anymore, because it'll be streaming. It's right. not like they can do a box office thing. But it's considered a success. I do have a couple of projects I'd like to go on to. Um, how long it'll take to set them up? I don't know. But one would be The Shadow King, because they got the rights back. Mm -hmm. And another is uh, what I think is Neil Gaiman's best book, The Ocean at the End of the Lane. Mm, nice. So maybe I'll see you again in five years, <laughs> but not ten, <laughs> or or not at all. That that's how it's been. But I'm grateful. I'm, I'm grateful I've gotten to do what I've done, and most of the time, do the way I wanted to, which is you know it's usually a little different than um, you know standard Hollywood animation. So, um, first of all, just because you mentioned Coraline, it's a masterpiece. Just have to say that. I love that movie. I appreciate um, that. Yeah, Thank I you. love it. That's fantastic. And my daughter loves it. So, um, But that's not my question. My question is, um, <laughs> you mentioned how long it takes for some of these projects to come around. Stop motion, I, 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 love, I love stop motion movies, but they just seem like so much work. What is it about the medium that you think makes it so special? Makes it worth the amount of time it takes to create it when there are faster ways of doing animation these days? Um, yeah, stop motion is incredibly hard, but, but honestly, any of the 
biggest, most successful CG features, they took just as long. <laughs> that, um, you know, if you look at the Pixar model, they will spend years on their story reels until they're perfect. Now, they have gotten faster at the production side because they've grown a huge team of incredibly talented uh, CG animators and layout artists and lighters and all those people. So once the film's uh, approved, they can go in and out of production in like a year, where it would have been you know, much longer. But um, stop motion, uh, it does take a very long time. It's very meticulous. Um, but I've tried, I mean, I started out as, as a, a drawing animator. I was a full animator for a brief time at Disney. Um, you know, and I made my most important connections there with, with friends, even earlier at CalArts. I just was always interested in experimenting, trying other things. And um, so I had tried some cutout animation a long time ago. I ended up leaving Disney uh, to work on sort of a cutout, which is like stop motion, but it's just flat. And I just, um, my interest in stop motion grew more and more. Just like, that's what I felt is my specialty, is what I wanted to do. And, and the reason why I chose it is, um, it's about the process. Um, more than the finished result, I don't, I don't think stop motion films are any better than, than any other form of animation. So it's, it's certainly not superior, but it's unique. Mm -hmm. um, it can't be, and it shouldn't be as polished as CG. I think, when, I think when they polish it up too much that it looks like CG, then why would you put all that effort into moving those puppets around? But it's, it's, the, it's the process and the type of people. It's like live action in miniature. You got almost all the same departments. You know, you've got stages, you've got sets, um, you've got real camera people and uh, camera department, you've got hair, uh, you've got costume. Makeup is paint, but it's still like a makeup department. So it's all the same kind of uh, areas that you have in live action and it's all, you know, humans and often um, they're on their feet and it's, it's sort of this living organism. And, and one of the things back at Disney when I was a hand-drawn, I just didn't, I got tired of sitting on my ass all day long. And then we'd go out and shoot some baskets or something, break it up. So I just like, I like how active it is. I love the uh, culture, the type of people that are drawn to it. It's crazy people like to make perfect little miniatures. Right. And um, look at the best stop motion animators, they're as talented as the best brain surgeons. Right. It's a really hard thing. I mean, you know, you've got a puppet. You have to like move the arms in opposite directions. The body's moving here, legs, and they might be acting and gesturing. All those things are going on. It's it's um, you know, I did some of it, but the level of the people I work with, it's astonishing. So um, you know, and that's that's the final reason why I like it more because it's an actual performance. A human touches something and brings it to life. It doesn't go through all those layers. Awesome. Yeah, that, that was sort of where, where I was going to go because I, I do the Polaroid pictures which is you know also yeah. like an analog version of what everyone else is doing, digital photos. And, and there was something, a connection that I was making there with the uh, stop motion where you're actually, you have a physical object that you're making as art, you know, you're making it move, you're doing all the work of it. Um, 
but because you sort of answered that question already, uh, Jordan Peele's Monkey Paw uh, Corporate, they use stop motion in their you know intro for the yeah, their logo. Was that something that came before or after your um, connection? It, it, it um, came after, but it wasn't because of my connection. It was just, I had nothing to do with it, but it's just sort of a proof that Jordan really does stop motion yeah. animation. Well, my favorite movie for you is Nightmare Before Christmas. And my question is, what subtle differences is Nightmare, um, sorry, Window and Wild between that and Nightmare Before Christmas or and um, James and the Giant Peach? Um, yeah, Nightmare's a long, long time ago, and it was the, kind of the first, uh, you know, serious stop-motion feature made and um, it had a wonderful story in the characters from from Tim, but it was it was um, we shot with big movie cameras, heavy thirty five millimeter cameras. Um, we there was no uh, post production digital cleanup. Um, if a character had to jump or fly, we had to hang it from spider wires. That's what they're called. It's so thin. You, the camera couldn't see it. Of course, it's so thin you breathe too heavy and it breaks. <laughs> so it was it was very um, you know a lot of sort of more primitive elements, uh, but it's still the same uh, an animator performing through through characters. So that's remained that's remained the same. Um, and you know you may be asking about difference. What, you know differences that are beyond that, but it's easiest to just talk about first. You know what's what's changed technically, and then by the time I did Coraline, well, we're shooting digitally. We also shot it in 3D. We actually took two images for every single thing, and um, uh, we had we had full digital cleanup. So instead of hanging things from wires, we could attach them to like a, a metal rig. We could even program a movement on that rig to lift and deposit of a character that's jumping and then we paint it out digitally um, we got to a point where we could fix things so well it started to get a little too clean and perfect and ultimately in getting another chance to do a, a film went a while I wanted I wanted more of the um, you know you haven't seen the film so you wouldn't know this but I wanted more of the craft to show I didn't want to hide it so much so even um like on Coraline, several of the characters, we use replacement faces. They used to be all hand-sculpted uh, for expressions. You know, Jack Skellington is like a row of heads with every single different expression. And in-betweens, if he's going to smile or scowl or raise a brow, there's a separate hand-sculpted figure for that. You know, some very talented animator would draw it first, blah, blah, blah. Um, by the time we got to Coraline, where we're splitting faces in two, so we could have separate expressions from there up, different mouths, and it just gave us, you combine those, you get a lot more expressions. But there's a seam line because they're separate pieces. And back on Coraline, well, we painted that out digitally. I didn't actually want to, but, you know, people were afraid, oh, people will know how it's done. <laughs> but on this film, no, I leave the seam lines in. I leave a lot more mistakes in. Um, we don't go for smooth and perfect. We go for great performance, great characters, and a strong story, a stronger story than a lot of animated films get. So um, so technically, I've sort of like 
started in the past, was going in the future, and then I kind of went back a bit. Because why bother doing this handmade stuff if it's all hidden so perfectly? You don't know it. Um, as far as comparing characters and stories, uh, there's certain overlaps. There's something, uh, someone pointed out just the other day, it hadn't occurred to me, but our He's not, he's not the villain you might think he is, but we've got this giant demon named Buffalo Belzer. Um, he's the ruler of the underworld, and the underworld in this film is it's just a beat-up old amusement park where the souls of the danged have to ride forever and ever. Uh, the, the, the bad people go to hell, but the not-so-bad ones go to the screen fair. And some point out just the other day that, that Buffalo Belzer reminded them of Oogie Boogie, it hadn't occurred to me at all, but I think he's right. I think there's a there's an overlap. There's something about those two. Of course, Boogie was a real villain, and Bubba Belzer isn't. He he seems like he might be, but he's not. So anyway, there's you know comparing things I've done. There's always going to be some of the same things or a reinvented version of the same things. Um, but I try to keep it fresh. I try to always bring in new visuals, new design just because it's boring if you're just going to repeat yourself. My answers are so long. <laughs> <laughs> we, haven't, we haven't even gotten around the table yet. <laughs> uh, I'll just make a quick question. Sure. Um, you know, in, in the space of stop motion, I think you and Nick Parker are probably the most famous in that realm. Where do you see the future of stop motion? Uh, with the success of this movie, I mean, these early reviews, I mean, I think everyone's really liked it. I think we've all enjoyed it so far. I, I, I think it's, um, I think stop motion is kind of, uh, it has it waves of popularity and then it always diminishes. That, like, there's one, you know, there's one film that's successful and then, hey, we'll do some of that stop motion. And then maybe there's a couple of films that aren't so successful, and then, oh, let's back away quick. I can't really predict the future. Um, I like that there's streaming, because the film doesn't have to live or die by its opening weekend at the box office, so there's more time for an audience to find it. Um, and I also think that through streaming that there's more people watching. There's like specialty audiences that you don't have to appeal to everybody. You can kind of be a little more personal in your stories, and because it's streaming, you'll be able to find your audience and reach them. So I'm hopeful that because of how people are able to watch the films, I mean, I, I miss theaters and all that, and we do have our film opening in a handful of theaters across the country, but just a handful. I'd like to think there's, there could be a pretty healthy future, but, you know, Netflix, they, they want to work with me again, but they... They say, well, well, we don't know about stop motion. Let's see if people like stop motion. <laughs> and I, what can I say to them? You know, I, I say, you know, it's not just about the stop motion. It's kind of like, what's the story? And who are the characters? So I'm hopeful, but I don't, I don't count on anything. I, I'm hopeful. You know, I, Ardman has made incredible things, what Nick, Nick Parkson told genius. Um, they got a couple of films, a sequel to Chicken Run, and... Uh, a new Wallace and Gromit they're going to do. They found an actor who can do that voice. But, it, I mean, whether or not... Um, it, it'll always be here. There's always these kids coming up. I mean, I just met them earlier today. 
um, kids going to high school or, or college who love stop motion and are doing it and are teaching themselves. So there's always going to be them. They'll be making the short films. Um, they're going to find outlets. So it's, it, no, no one's like abandoning it because, like, yeah, there's no money in stop motion. They, they love it too much. So it'll find a way. Awesome. Thank Great. you. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Nice talking to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.